the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to a New Year's Eve edition of New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back in the old time machine, head back to the WWF New Generation era, and take a look at some of the happenings of this glorious time frame of around 1993 to 1997 in the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, and I say New Year's Eve, but we're, you know, technically a day early. But you get it. You're, you might be listening to this on the way to your New Year's Eve gathering, your New Year's Eve party, maybe uh, getting ready to rock in the new year with a little uh, rot New Year's Rockin' Eve, or maybe you're uh, getting drink on in a special place. But whatever you're doing in the new generation world, it's always uh, New Year's Eve. It's always getting ready for the next year. And as long as it falls into the 93 to 97 time frame, uh, we're always looking at new beginnings in new generation declassified, as long as it sticks within the timeline. Uh, but what I want to do today here as I'm solo uh, for this broadcast is to uh, just thank everybody for taking the time to listen to these episodes over the last six months. Uh, the debut episode dropping on June 10th as new generation declassified uh, took a look at uh, a federation in transition. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, we've gotten to see over the last six months a lot of different personalities. And that is the uh, the interesting part of this journey because it doesn't matter who I've heard from. If it's somebody in the wrestling business, if it's a listener of the show, if it's somebody who's always downloaded the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasts, I've heard a million times this is an era that people just flat out either tapped out on or have forgotten about. And this is more evident every show we do uh, on this network and on this platform to see who wasn't watching, who was watching die hard and then stopped for the mid nineties, whether it was to grow up and uh, go to high school or go to college or, or just find other interests, get into sports, get into baseball, get into basketball. All this stuff was very big and hot and heavy in the mid nineties. But it just goes to show you that the Attitude Era was such a huge uh, deal for wrestling that it brought everybody back because anyone who's told me that they tapped out and weren't watching during the new generation years ended up watching uh, pretty uh, heavily and then maybe even at the diehard level in the, uh, in the Attitude Era. So we've gotten a look over that in the last six months and we've had a lot of cool guests join us over uh, that time frame and you know and, and i like that i like getting different perspectives because even if they're coming on to talk about a specific topic we've kind of gotten a little a uh, little sidebar and we get to kind of talk about what kind of fan they were during this era if they were a fan at all if they were watching at the time if they were alive at the time and uh it's kind of funny to see even though we pick a topic to talk about everybody has a different perspective on uh, different aspects of the uh, the time frame especially the most, uh, you know, I would say argued topic is when did it start? And that's what you're going to listen to here in a couple minutes. I'm going to rebroadcast 
the first episode from June 10th, New Generation Declassified. You can go back and listen to the full thing. I'm going to give you basically, you know, a good 35 uh, minutes of it. It was only about a 40 minute show. But uh, what I think it's going to kind of give you perspective on is no matter what you talk to in terms of fan, maybe again, if it's somebody who was in the business at the time, got into wrestling, wanted to become a wrestler because of this time period, everybody kind of picks a different starting point for when the new generation began. I, I just stick by it. I say it's the night that Monday Night Raw kicked off it's january 11th 1993 i believe we've had people say uh it starts in november 92 we've had people say it doesn't start all the way till june 93 so that topic alone spans the end of 92 into almost the fall of 1993 and that's a long chunk of time for it to be the new generation which then you know is it two and a half years is it four years is it really a, a, a flat amount of time because I'd say it ends exactly when the, uh, the the colors of the ring ropes change to red. Some people might say it's when the Raw's War uh, set debuts and they got rid of the R.A.W. Um, entranceway. It's all up for debate, and that's the beauty of this show. And as 2021 opens up, we will also open up. We'll open up the vault. We'll dig for more rare shows. We'll look into more specific things like the merchandising, uh, the action figures, you know, the magazines, uh, more on the Coliseum videos. It seems like that's had a huge response uh, to the Coliseum video episode and looking at some of the more rare tapes, the international releases, uh, stuff like that, which is so cool. And now we see stuff getting just dug up all the time, whether it's new content or lost media. We see these kinds of things popping up left and freaking right. And to me, it is, uh, it's so cool that, you know, somebody could fall into a box in their attic and find, uh, you know, a set of uh, WWF promos that have never seen the light of day before. And if you listen to my show eyes up here with uh, the queen of extreme Francine, you know that she attended a record release party for WrestleMania, the album, which we plan on talking about WrestleMania, the album in 2021. And in that we unearthed a, a commercial that aired in 1993 featuring the WWF superstars and Vince McMahon at an album release party for WrestleMania, the album. So it's this kind of stuff that's just, you don't know what's out there. And in this, kind of four-year span wrestling went to sleep a little bit and it would be nice to be able to pull up you know a new year's eve uh wwf uh, spectacular you know like they did back in the early 90s and late 80s with primetime wrestling they did that obviously uh they had eve of destruction later on in the attitude era and over on wcw they actually did a thing called wcw all nighter um you know where they had all uh, a whole night worth of wcw programming so it's those cool things that, that the WWF just kind of went to sleep on for a few years. Uh, and I did pull up one card, which I think is kind of funny, from uh, 1994. It's actually uh, New Year's Eve, 1994. was uh, the Superstars of Wrestling taped at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, beautiful Poughkeepsie, New York. And uh, here we go. It's a, it's a superstars taping. So if you watched it like I did, it was on Saturday mornings at noon on Fox 5 in New York. You got the Head Shrinkers defeating uh, Jim Neidhart and Owen Hart in a WWF Tag Team Championship Tournament quarterfinal match. You got Razor Ramon defeating the Brooklyn Brawler. You got Quang defeating Buck Quartermain. Henry Godwin defeating John Paul and my man, PJ uh, Aldo Montoya, defeating Mike Bell. 
uh, on a superstars taping. So that's all you got on New Year's Eve during the uh, the new generation years. Not a lot of stuff. Now we also can talk about the Raw Bowl, uh, which was a big New Year's Day uh, spectacular, I believe. But that was taped in like mid December in uh, 1995. And broadcast the first day of uh, 1996. So the Raw Bowl is something we could definitely do. I'm not opposed to the old Raw Bowl. But nonetheless, a lot of stuff to be uh, unearthed. A lot of stuff to be uh, discussed. Definitely going to talk more about the Macho Man in this era. I have been told uh, by the powers that be that the Macho Man episode of this show was the uh, the, the basically the highest downloaded, most well-received uh, episode. And that was just looking at a promo of the Macho Man. So if the Macho Man's words can reach so much, we got to dig more into the Macho Man Randy Savage, and we got to look more into his, uh, really, in the new generation era, only about 18 months that he was around. We're going to definitely, definitely dig into that. Uh, We can dig into the Ultimate Warrior. We could dig into Mr. Perfect and his kind of comings and goings during this uh, time frame. Uh, So much to dig into that tag team title tournament that I just mentioned, uh, the quarterfinals that in itself is worth an episode, just that tournament and how random some of the teams were and what the finals would end up being and how it set the table for a lot of other stuff that would continue through the next year plus of the new generation. Uh, so a lot to be done, a lot of cool guests coming your way uh, in the very, very near future, uh, looking to absolutely ramp it up and make this show uh, as unique as we can make it uh, in dealing with only a certain stretch of time. We don't, we can't just say uh, we're going back to January, 1985 this week. And uh, next week we're going to uh, November, 2006, not happening. We're stuck in basically uh, January, 93 to about March, 97, but we'll find stuff. We'll unearth stuff. We'll look for stuff. We'll have people come on and talk about stuff. I'd love to do debates. I'd love to do kind of, uh, you know, not watch alongs, but, a more commentary-based uh, style of uh, shows. So we shall see what comes forward here in the next year and buckle in and buckle up, and it's going to be a fun ride. So uh, we're going to head over here to the first episode, New Generation Declassified, June 10th, 2020, The Federation in Transition. You'll get to hear uh, what was a uh, glorious return to the airwaves for myself at that time. You will also get to hear kind of what the show has to offer. But like I said, the discussion of when did this uh, era begin? Was it November? Was it June? Was it January 93? It's all up for debate and it's all available uh, in just a couple of moments here. But also look at some of the other episodes uh, focusing on things like the role of Todd Pettengill at the time. uh, What he did, his comedy stylings. Did it fit? Was it corny? Does he kind of get pigeonholed because of it? We talk about it in great length. Billionaire Ted, those segments, look at those uh, literally the start to finish. They didn't last very long, but they kind of made an impact. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, they are what they are. If you go back and, uh, and watch them, they're, they're, sh- they're shock, schlocky comedy at its uh, greatest. And that's for damn sure. Uh, you know, more recently, we talked about Christmas in the new generation, the veterans of the new generation, uh, Livewire, and how Livewire was about 25 years too early. We talked to Jeff Lane, who is the co-host of the brand with Vince Russo, who was featured very heavily on Livewire and got to kind of dig into that and see what somebody who never watched Livewire thought. 
and that's you know that's basically what I wanted to do from the start. We talked about the merch uh, a little bit with a vendor who does uh, uh, conventions, and he does uh, now the virtual signings. Uh, so so much to cover, and we will do more of that here in 2020. Uh, just to get it out of the way, if you want to follow me on social media, it's at Chad EMB. Uh, if you want to go to my website, it's ibexclusive.com. You'll find some more stuff about things I do on the side on there. And for all the website, uh, all the, the podcast information for this website, it's tmptempire.com. All the podcasts, all the interviews, Dr. Tom, and so much more all through uh, that great portal. Uh, but you'll hear those plugs again here in a couple of minutes. But just wanted to say that to you right here before we get going. Have a wonderful new year, and we'll see you next week as we unearth uh, some more gems of the new generation. So for the Chadster, this is the Chadster. Stay tuned. Here's a little bit more of New Generation Declassified. New Generation's got a lot of stories, and we're going to dig into it here in this declassification of, uh, really, a polarizing time that brought you from one end of your wrestling life into the next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said is exactly why it is not talked about as much. It was just kind of sandwiched in between these two gigantic times for the sport or sports entertainment world of wrestling. I mean, you have that golden era of the 80s and Hogan. And then obviously the Attitude Era, Steve Austin and The Rock and these massive, massive crossover stars. So then sandwich in the middle, you have this new generation with with all it's all the people that it brought to the table. But never actually, you know, never none of those guys never really hit that superstardom level of some of the guys from the surrounding generations. Yeah, they were uh, bit players. You know, they were in other organizations during, you know, the, the glory years or in the big money years. They were young guys gritting their teeth. And then a few years later, they'd be the uh, the top stars. And, you know, some might say it, it might kind of copy the current era that we're in. But I don't know. Yep. I, I, I beg to differ in, in certain regards because, I mean, some of the stuff that uh, we get to see visually here as we're recording this. I mean, my God, it's taking me back. <laughs> Just to oh, yeah, absolutely. Where, you know, I never saw anybody faint over uh, a Seth Rollins or a, uh, <laughs> a guy like a Roman Reigns. You know, I never well, saw them falling over themselves the way I'm seeing uh, kids and uh, little girls doing for Bret Hart. I would certainly say any of these guys, I mean, especially Bret Hart and uh, to another to a lesser degree, Shawn Michaels are uh, bigger stars than anyone in the current crop of uh, WWE superstars. I don't think that's a question at all. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now let's kind of just go back a little bit if we can to that, that time period. So, you know, we grew up in New York, New Jersey area, you know, we're going to shows at Madison square garden. We're going to shows at the Meadowlands. We're really in the heart of WWF country. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about on this show is going to be really off a of memory of experiencing uh, some things, but the plans for this show are, are kind of interesting because it's not just going to be, we're going to sit here and talk about uh, the new generation. We're going to review a show. We're going to do, you know, uh, just a general like, oh yeah, uh, you know, The Undertaker beat King Mabel and Diesel beat Sid. We're not going to do that. We're going to actually take a moment or a match 
or, uh, you know, a specific topic, and we're going to explore it a little bit more. So we're going to focus solely on the WWF, the new generation years. We're going to peek into the other organizations. We're going to see what was happening in ECW at the time, what was happening in WCW, what was happening in Smoky Mountain, um, just what was happening in Memphis, just different things that were tied to this era. But circling back into Connecticut, the WWF, Vince McMahon, Titan Tower, the whole nine yards. And uh, each week we'll have a brand new topic, whether it's merchandise, whether it's uh, a superstar, uh, a house show, a house show loop, a pay-per-view, a Monday Night Raw, a superstars, WWF Mania, which CP didn't remember. So I had to, that was one great refresher. Why um, you got to hit me like that? <laughs> we're going <laughs> to dig into all this stuff. And we're also going to look in a few weeks to have some guests on the show from this era that can jump in and kind of provide an analysis about what they experienced through it. Because if you know the TMPT Empire and you know us at all, that's what we do best. We bring on the guests that can really, really take us back and show us what it is. We're talking about on a weekly basis, but what they experience. So uh, something different, something I think uh, maybe it's been done in other places, but now it's got my spin on it. It's got your spin on it. And here we go. So uh, you might open Pandora's box with that one Facebook message. No, I mean, I'm glad I opened Pandora's box. I didn't really expect to be podcasting with you, to be honest. And now I'm <laughs> now I'm potentially part of the TMPT wrestling empire as we're doing this new generation podcast. And it's uh, I'm glad to be here chatting with you. And it's good to have Tim aboard, too, who I haven't met in person yet, but I'm sure we will one day. So it's a it's a good uh, it's a good experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Tim's going to be, like I said, behind the glass and uh, he's going to be providing us with some visuals. So whether or not this has a visual element at some point, it, it's kind of helping spark some of the memories. So yeah. the, the basis of this show is just explaining our thoughts on when did the era actually begin? So, uh, you know, we both oddly enough and funny enough, we both have a different opinion on it, which is great. And I think even Tim, when I was talking with him about the show itself, he even had a different opinion on it. So, <laughs> this is kind of what exactly we were talking about, and there's real no perfect answer to it. But, um, you know, this era classified in Wikipedia is from 1993 to 1997. And right there is where CP takes umbrage <laughs> with that statement. Absolutely, because it begins on October 12th in 1992 when Bret Hart beat Ric Flair to win the WWF Championship in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, that's kind of how I've always seen it. I feel like Bret Hart winning the WWF championship is a clear delineation from the old school to the new school. I also feel like Bret Hart's title reigns in general bookends the new generation. Um, but I think it, when you look at that title win and that night, um, it was, it's, it's somewhat of a house show. I know it's been on Coliseum home video and the match was aired on primetime wrestling. But it was it was a complete changing of the guard. The prior summer, you had the Macho Man and Ric Flair uh, swapping the title back and forth ever since WrestleMania eight. You had that old guard fighting over the belts. Uh, Bret Hart had won the title. Now he's the clear younger star. Only a month later, you, you're looking at Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, who are the cornerstones of the new generation headlining Survivor Series 1992. On that same show, you have the pay-per-view debut of Yokozuna. Razor Ramon is getting a rub from Ric Flair, Randy Savage, and Mr. Perfect. Um, and WWE is starting to wrap up its primetime wrestling series. So, But I think the clear start to all this 
is Bret Hart winning the WWF title from Ric Flair on October 12th, 1992. It's hard to argue. I, I will give you that. And it's a great, uh, great argument. But you on you your, can argue with that. But I can, and I will. <laughs> um, I agree with you to a point because I, I really think that, yeah, it's got elements. Um, there's too much of the old guard involved still for me to call it the, the dawning of the new generation. And I know what you mean. I know exactly what you're saying. It's just, I don't think that that's where they were at that point. Now, fast forward a month and that's where they start to clean house with the quote steroid guys. You see the British bulldog is let go. You see the ultimate warriors let go. The warlord is let go. You know, those guys, guys are on steroids. Allegedly. I wasn't there for the, te- <laughs> I wasn't there for the testing, but allegedly, um, but to me, this show has too much of the old feel to it for it even be the dawning because a month later, they would have to really change gears. Now, the reason they take the belt off of Ric Flair is due to injury. So Ric Flair has said on many occasions, this is not his greatest match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett has said on many occasions, this was not Flair's best match, which is uh, I <laughs> yes, love how has. Brett is so honest about things. Um, but just to me itself, they it, it's almost like Brett gets the belt, get it off of Flair. And then the next month, the steroid stuff happens, forcing them to usher in a new era, which then I then believe the first night of Monday Night Raw, when Vince McMahon says literally primetime wrestling will be canceled, no longer be on the air. Next week is Monday Night Raw. When we see Sean Mooney standing outside and welcoming us to Monday Night Raw, to me, that is the end or excuse me, the beginning of the new generation. And the old guard is is for the most part going to be gone. And that's it. I mean, what what else is better than that intimate venue, the Manhattan Center, the Macho Man, Rob Bartlett sitting out there providing a little bit more of an edgier feel? Yeah. Uh, I feel like they could have let Bobby the Brain into the building. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Bartlett, a great comedian, uh, very funny guy, a mainstay of the I Miss in the Morning program for many, many years. Belong nowhere near a professional wrestling <laughs> ring. I think he would be the first to say that as well. Uh, but... That image of the three of them standing at ringside, to me, that's where it gets kicked off because there's still too much between October 12th and January that says, all right, this is still the old guard. And they were really kind of forced to make those changes based off of some testing that needed to be implemented. But on the flip side, the first guy we see out of the I was just because, yeah. Is Coco Beware. <laughs> <laughs> exactly as you were saying that I'm watching Coco Beware walk down the aisle. Um but yeah, um, one thing I would push back on you a little bit is um, that when you said, you know, Ric Flair had, he, he, you know, he basically was injured and that's why they turned the belt over to Brett. Um, makes perfect sense. I know they weren't ready to put it on Brett, but would you expect them to put it on him in that situation? Or if it was August, would it have gone to Macho Man? Back well, Macho, Macho Man was the right. champion in August, so that's not a... I think he won in September, actually. But you know what I'm point. I'm just saying, if it was a month or two prior, would it have gone on Brett or would it have gone on someone from the older guard? It's a good question. I think it still might go to Brett. And that's because of some of the stuff going on backstage. Earlier in 92, uh, Brett had a pretty heated uh, contract uh, negotiation with Vince mm-hmm. where he pointed out, like, you look, you said you were going to put the rocket on me. You know, I've carried the IC belt. Obviously, I've become kind of like the cornerstone of that division. And around the time he loses the belt to the Mountie, uh, you know, where he was quote sick, had the hundred and like 35 degree temperature, whatever they said uh, the yep. deal was, 
he was in a heated contract negotiation and talking about going to WCW at, at yeah. that point, which I mean, I can't even picture that for the life of me uh, no. at that point, 91, 92, Bret Hart going to WCW. So I think based off of those intense contract negotiations, he would have gotten the belt. I think that the flare injury forces the hand and that's why you get the Bret Hart title victory in October. And I would also admit, and I know this is going back prior now to New Generation, but that summer previous to that, I mean, you know, Brett Bulldog leading up to oh, yeah. Wembley Stadium, SummerSlam. I realize Bulldog's from England, so that's part of the reason that headlined the show. But that was the premier feud in the WWF at that time. And I can't even imagine, like, modern era, an intercontinental title feud being feeling so important and so big as that bulldog Brett feud the prior summer right yeah and and again it's almost like that was the closing of the book on the that old guard because we wouldn't see bulldog for a few years but that feud the match as iconic as it's going to get i remember meeting bret hart in 1996 and him even saying at that point that was his favorite match of all time and i remember saying to myself like but he lost the match like whoa what is he yeah. why would he say that's his favorite match and then learning more about it and what went into it, how much work he had to put in, how he had to literally carry the bulldog through the match and how crisp and great it was. Phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that amazing moment in that match where he does the uh, slingshot over the top rope and bulldog's just not there for him. And Brett has to grab the bulldog like to get some kind of guard before he falls to the ground, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And he's so blown up at that point, you know, and he's out of shape. And, you know, Bulldog was in very bad shape in the summer of 92. He was doing a lot of drugs. (laughs) He was doing a lot of stuff that uh, Brett has said in the book. Like, it just is absolutely, uh, you know, it's a carry job. But you wouldn't know because Bulldog was that good, too. And as we're getting a chance to look at it here, you know, it's you see elements of the heel Brett we'd see a few years later, uh, oddly enough, in this. match. Oh, absolutely. That's a little and bit Brett, of a long uh, shot there, Brett. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that a lot later too. But Brett was always very good at picking particular moments to be heelish. Like he's he's mentally easily the top. If you know, if he's not the top, he's the top three all time. Just mentally with what he's doing in the rings, storyline wise, crowd wise, with everybody watching him. Yeah, absolutely. So I you know, I don't particularly hate this, what you're saying. And, and and if there wasn't a Monday Night Raw intro, I probably would tend to maybe agree with your argument. But I just can't deny the change of the feel in January 93 because that that venue itself, the Manhattan Center. I mean, just talk about the venue itself. And, you know, we, we chatted about it before. I mean, it had what would go on to be the ECW feel where it was very mm-hmm. intimate. You got to see the same fans every week. You know, you got to kind of experience a more, um, you know, I don't know, uh, experiencing the action feel. I wish I had been in that building. Never been there for wrestling. Oddly enough, in New York City, one of the only places I've never seen wrestling is uh, the Manhattan Center. But I think the building itself helped usher in this era because, you know, again, it was more rabid. You know, I'm sure people probably pregame in before they went in there. And it had kind of like a, a rowdy atmosphere to it and a feel that we hadn't seen on WWF TV. So that's where, again, I, I just really lean on that, that debut of raw. I know it's very easy to say that, by the way, I know that that's like a very easy uh, kind of like uh, push pin to, to put in the timeline, but it's just something about that whole dynamic that just really, uh, it just kind of hits it home for me. You know, man, what that I, venue wish I, was? Man, I wish I went to that. What the Manhattan center, what, what uh, the Rose, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, 
the the names escape. Not Roseland, right? I think it's Hammerstein. If Hammerstein, I, Could, I think it. it's Hammerstein. It's the Hammerstein Ballroom. Yeah, ECW would run the Hammerstein like crazy. Yeah, uh, I went to multiple concerts there as well, but not in the um. I believe Raw was on the you know it's not the third floor or something. Right, it was not right. on the main concert venue. Floor. And the last show they did that Raw anniversary show there a few years ago, which ended up being a huge clusterfuck. Uh, where people just hated the the waiting and the the television. Yeah, at least Jr. and, and King weren't sleeping. I, I would say they were never asleep during that show. <laughs> yeah, that, come on, get get up. Uh, these kids need to get up their back with this stuff. Let let Jr. <laughs> let Jr. and King be be who they are. But um, I love those guys. But you know that venue itself. Yeah, being on the the third or fourth floor, whatever it is, and having to get the ring up in the elevator. It just it was a different kind of feel. Um, and it has that New York element, you know. Well, it's not Shotgun Saturday Night, which we will talk about down the road, but it's got what that element, New York feel. You know what element it had? What? Uncut, uncensored, and uncooked. <laughs> because it's raw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, Vince McMahon in 93, uh, not yet experiencing the bomber jacket, um, <laughs> did not incorporate that into the wardrobe just yet. Not the, yet. No, no, do no. Do you remember the bomber jacket? You remember oh, the, I t- uh, okay. I absolutely remember the bomber jacket. But to see then, all right. So then we're we're just these visuals are here for a reason because they're sparking yes. stuff. The so headlock, colorful, right? Exactly. Oh, the ahead, headlock sorry. on hunger. The Ico Pro. This is yes. stuff that would in '93 be such a main part of the WWF machine. This Monday Night Raw show. I mean, they're beating you over the head with it already. You know, and it's it's something that would be there. Ico Pro, I you know, I think it was there in '92, but still, it'd be there for another year or so. The headlock on hunger, my God, I felt like I knew everything about uh, Somalia <laughs> relief. You know, based off of what was going on with the headlock on hunger. But this is the stuff, man. That I'm saying that this uh, this January '93 show it really changed how the the, the company did their business. Yeah, no, I uh, I mean I don't disagree with you that this is a very important show. It's clearly a complete departure from what they had been doing doing prior i mean you have it took the time slot of primetime wrestling which was a studio-based show where you know they would they would show basically clips from uh, where they all coliseum video shows they were basically tapings like tapings yeah they were they would do either a coliseum taping or uh, a few years prior, they'd run more like the MSG shows on there. They would show you, you know, but they wouldn't give you the good, <laughs> good matches. They'd give you, you yeah. know, uh, Paul Roma versus the Iron Sheik. You know, they wouldn't give you stuff that was necessarily the main event of the show. Well, they'd just give you a piece of it. So that's what's interesting, too. Uh, when you watch the first Monday Night Raw, if you don't if you don't have a context of the prior years, I don't know that you would realize how big of a departure it is because I think in comparison to modern wrestling, it kind of is squash matches, um, but it's not because right. you used to literally see, you know, everybody would, it would, it, you know, it, it would be like um, Ultimate Warrior versus Barry Horowitz. Uh, and then you'd get to a main event where it's maybe somebody that's pretty good against like a not very good guy, but you knew his name would be the main event yeah. um, versus like, this where you're getting Yokozuna versus Coco Beware. It's like you know Yoko is this future star, and you know he's gonna right. beat Coco Beware. But Coco is a legit name, and he he's not just some you know he's not just a no disrespect to anybody, but he's not just a he's just not he's not just an anybody jobber. He's Coco right. Beware. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Right. And the way they built up Yokozuna was that they had him run through a lot of the mainstays and that was getting him over. That was, wow, he beat Coco mm-hmm. Beware. Wow, he beat Virgil. You know, it was, uh, those were big victories at that point in time. Um, but another interesting part with primetime to Raw, primetime is two hours, Raw is one hour. So you're losing programming, but you're getting it live every other week. And uh, that was kind of the trade-off. Um, whether or not you feel that's appropriate for wrestling, one hour. I, I tend to think the 93 Raws are perfect. If you watch them, and I actually at one point did watch the whole entire year chronologically, they are perfect at one hour apiece. Now, the two-hour primetimes, I think they're perfect because you get to see all these different squash matches. You get to see, you know, the promos, the event center. You get to see the WWF on display. So it's kind of a trade-off. You're you're getting a live show. It's only an hour. You're getting a tape show. It's two hours. So that's another big difference there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I agree with you. They're both perfect. I, I remember falling asleep when I was a child watching primetime wrestling all the time. <laughs> And it was it was it was an experience, and I always enjoyed it. Especially those, you know, Oof. anytime you had Gorilla and Bobby Heenan interacting, it was always amazing. But then, you know, you get this crazy live experience with Yokozuna just squashing Coco Squ- B. Literally <laughs> squashing him like a grape. I mean, that was uh, you know, I don't care how you, you you try to protect that. That's still a giant rear end going right on your chest cavity. But uh, <laughs> you know, the the characters here, like we're seeing Doink the Clown, who was Matt yeah. Bourne at the time. There at the end of 92, but didn't get in the ring, didn't really do anything until 93. And this is a character uh, we will absolutely delve into yes. because the the psychology of a evil clown is unbelievable. Um, but back then we thought it was kind of goofy. Now, this goes to your point and what we're watching. Exactly what you said. Here's Typhoon. <laughs> taking on Doink, who's a brand new character. So they're using the more established guys from that past era to get guys over and that formula is kind of never left wrestling. It's just interesting to see it, you know, and the, the, the dynamic we're talking about of October 92 versus January 93. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Typhoon is, uh, he kind of hit his peak already in WWE when our WWF, when the natural disasters were tag team champions. So, you know, he had his tugboat years, <laughs> uh, and then he had the natural disasters, which were his peak. And now he's Typhoon. I, this is not a uh, Federation era podcast, uh, but as much as I love Fred Ottman, who is a very wonderful man, Uncle Fred, one of the nicest guys that I think I've ever met in my life. Uh, when you squashed Hulk Hogan, you squashed everything inside. <laughs> that's all I could say. That's all. That's all I'll tell you right now. You maybe get those friendship bracelets and then you squash them like a grape. <laughs> How could you do that? <laughs> I used to, you, this is totally a sad, uh, Legends of Wrestling Roundtable on the WWE Network, but it used to be on WWE Classic On Demand. Yeah, Dusty Rhodes used to talk about uh, Fred Ottman when he would talk about the Shockmaster, and it was, yes. he was just very funny the way he would talk about him. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. No, he's uh, the yeah the Uncle Fred Cody Rhodes watching uh, the Shockmaster fall on his ass. Um, um, one thing great about this Monday Night Raw though is you get to that. Um, Damien Demento character, and I don't know. I don't know if he. I'm sure he was on TV before this. I don't remember yes. that he was on TV before this, but um, that's later in the show, obviously. But he just reminds me of it, it, my childhood because my dad was convinced that he was Jesse Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> it always, I always think of that when I see Damien Demento on a card lineup. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Damien Demento. Um, again, goofy 
in that realm, goofy in that era. But looking back, like, damn, like, man, they could have done something with this guy. He's a big guy. You know, he's got a real unique look. But unfortunately, the problem was is that, you know, everybody just fell under a microscope. Everybody was either too goofy or not, like, legitimate enough to be kind of like uh, a, a, a WWF guy. You know what I mean? They just it seemed like there was not a comfort level with fans to these yeah, absolutely. At that era, and they were guys that were great lunch pail guys that were working hard every single night, try to put on a good product, and it just uh, it didn't work out. I don't know what well, it you, is. You look at those last. So there's there was four matches on Raw. I'm looking at the lineup right now, and you have the last two are Shawn Michaels and Max Moon, and then Undertaker, Damian Demento, and it's like, you know, you have these two legends that come out of these last two matches, but. Th- th- you know, Damian Demento, I agree with you. He looks like he could be a star. He just wasn't packaged correctly. And then right. Max Moon's a whole other story. I don't know how, yeah, how you feel I mean, about Max Moon. And the, the Jesse Ventura thing, I mean, maybe. Jesse did have a mullet at that point, so I could see what you're Yeah, you no, this is, just, this is just my crazy dad. That's <laughs> Hey, your dad sat through many of shows. So oh, he, he did, uh, he did. He, he has a right to say whatever he wants because he uh, he sat through many a wrestling he, show. He, he does not <laughs> believe me to this day that there's not like 17 different Undertakers, even though I'm like, but look how <laughs> old he was. Why would they take such an old man and put him out there? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no, your dad just definitely threw the rigors and uh, quite the resume for a uh, guy who casually attend, you know, wrestling shows. <laughs> and that's yes, yes. regarded, mind you. And see, that's a great part, too, of, like I said, what we'll be able to talk about from that era. Look, we grew up in the heart of WWF country. OK, it was WWF mm-hmm. everything, everywhere. Yes, we got WCW. Of course, we had TBS like everybody else in the country. But this was their backyard. This was the Meadowlands, the Nassau Coliseum, the Spectrum, the Garden. These are Boston was only a couple hours away. So we got a lot of the Boston coverage uh, on the local TV. I mean, this is stuff that we got to hear about arenas and places and spot shows that maybe other parts of the country had no idea about. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island. I didn't know where Providence, Rhode Island was. I just knew that there was wrestling there every couple of weeks. And that to me is why I think this is a good topic for us to cover because Yes, the times were down. Yes, the houses were down. But in you wouldn't know in New York and New Jersey, WWF yeah. was as hot as a pistol that whole entire time. And I know we went to many shows that were packed to the gills. We went to many uh, events that were just absolute bedlam. And I don't care what anybody says. You go to New York City, WWF, mid-90s, you still see in a full house. Anytime and- I went to the Garden in this era, the Garden was full, which is – I've. I've only been to two garden shows like in the last, you know, decade, but it's they they're not even close to full. So I got turned away from the garden in '98. Um, I won tickets through a contest in the Daily News to get. Uh, you might have even gone. Were you the one I took to the show? I don't remember. I took somebody to the show. I won tickets to the garden. Show up, they ended so. up just being vouchers, and we couldn't get in. And I was like, oh my god, like all right. This, this this company is literally it's untouchable now. Like you thought it was big before in New York. Now you can't even get yeah. in the building with a, a purchase or excuse me with a ticket one through a promotion of a major newspaper like the Daily News. Um, I think you might have been there. I can't remember, but nonetheless, uh, this is why this show is going to be unique. It's going to be a little different. Uh, these visual elements are just unbelievable because uh, I might just shut up and start watching Rick Martell versus Rick Martell. the Texas Tornado from Madison <laughs> Square Garden here. 
because uh, <laughs> if you know anything about me, I'm a giant Rick Martel fan, so I could sit here and uh, watch the physique and the uh, the finesse of the model Rick, all day long. Rick Martel is one of the more entertaining people ever. I will not disagree with you on that. Um, I was it, this is off topic. Uh, I was watching probably six months ago old uh, old WCW Nitros, which is like ninety six, ninety seven oh, yeah. Nitros, and Rick Martel's kind of like a jobber, but he's there and he's. But he's so entertaining. He's not like half-assing it. He he is working out there. He's entertaining the crowd while he's mad. Rick Martel got a huge push in WCW and ended up winning the TV title like twice before his back injury ended his career. And he's uh yeah he could have kept going. He was in amazing shape. He that's a great uh, great callback right there. Uh, but I'll tell you what, he's got a huge new generation moment in '93. If you recall, I'm gonna test your knowledge. Do you remember? What is the what is the moment? I'll remember when you say it's the 1993 <laughs> Intercontinental Title Battle Royal, where the final, oh, or excuse me, 94. Four, I'm sorry, okay. 94. Four the versus two, when him and Razor Ramon win the Battle Royal. Correct. And the they two, have their match right for the, the title. Yeah, the match is unbelievable. I yes, uh, Un- and unbelievable match. And that is a time where I am a huge Razor Ramon fan, if you recall. Uh, Razor. We'll talk about that as well. I don't remember yes. much. And there's lies that we will get into that you uh, purported to me uh, in preparation of this show, which I completely, <laughs> completely do not believe, nor will I believe. Uh, but we'll get into that in, in the weeks and months to come. Uh, it's okay, heartbreak kid. It's fine. I, I swear to God. I like I, sw- I think I was like pissed off at you afterwards because I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he claims that I was a big Shawn Michaels fan. I wouldn't have been a Shawn Michaels fan on any planet, in any state, in any universe in the world. Chad literally came into middle school with a radio playing Shawn Michaels music, dancing to it. I don't believe that for a second. I really don't. And I have a very good memory. How did I just remember? I can tell you everything that uh, Rick Martell ate for breakfast on that morning in 1994, but I couldn't. That I don't believe for the life of me. I obviously made up that last part. I don't think you did. I think you might be telling the truth. <laughs> kind of scary because I don't remember that at all. Um, but uh, yeah, but we're going to talk about a lot of this cool stuff. Specific moments, specific matches. Uh, and again, talking to people from the era, but maybe not even just that wrestled in the era. People who were fans at the time, uh, promoters, uh, different, maybe even, you never know, a celebrity that was a fan at the time could pop up on the show. If it has to do with these years, these 92-ish, 93 to 97, we're going to talk about it. And there's a lot to cover. And I think this is going to be cool. So if you like it, stay tuned. Uh, If you don't like it, stay tuned because I think we can uh, change your mind. It's not going to be your typical uh, review show. Obviously, you know, we didn't run down every match on the card. We could have, but we're not going to. We're going to talk about it in a discussion form and uh, see how it all develops and, uh, you know, kind of go from there. You got any final comments before I wrap it up? Uh, I just think this is going to be a, a fun show. We're going to hit up the new generation, which is it's probably my favorite era of wrestling. I, I think it might be your favorite era of wrestling. And I, I think it, it's just going to be a good time. We're going to have a lot of discussions that are not had in mass today. Because as, as you mentioned earlier, this is somewhat of a forgotten era. But we're going to bring it back to the forefront. I wouldn't say it's maybe my favorite era, but it's one that I like to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, I still said 84 through, you know, 
like 91 is untouchable to me. I mean, especially 87, 88. But this one, I think I could talk the most about having lived it more. Um, And before we wrap it up, I want to point out that this is actually what Tim had pointed out to me was his choice for the dawning of the new generation era is when Marty Jannetty goes through the barbershop window, which, again, it's early in 92. But you can't really argue with it because this is a real you know, defining moment for the career of a guy who'd be a staple of that entire era. I I believe that's too early of a moment, but I will I will never deny that that is possibly the greatest moment in WWF history. I lo- like I have rewatched that so many times that it that is the one of the most perfect heel turns that ever happens in wrestling. Ladies um, and gentlemen, the Rockers. Yes, oh, I yes. knew he was going to do that. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Boom. Bobby Heenan on commentary here is the most amazing thing ever. Um, talk, <laughs> he talks about Mario Gennetti diving through the window to escape. Gennetti tried to dive through the window <laughs> to escape. I mean, come on. But yeah, so this was Tim's choice uh, for the dawning of the new generation. And again, it, it's a debated topic and everybody's got an opinion. And I'm not going to say either one of you are wrong. So uh, if this is where we all think it starts. That's, You're wrong, more, that's more content, to be honest with you. So if we said it goes back to 92, uh, you know, that's more content to uh, to dive through. But uh, I could spend about seven episodes talking about the ring boy and the steroid scandal. So I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I would not want to do that either. All right, so let's get into the uh, to the wrap-up portion of the show. Uh, every single week you're going to catch us here. It's New Generation Declassified. Um, you know, we hope you're entertained by it. We hope you, uh, you find something out. If you've got some comments on it, obviously, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out on social media. If you f- want to follow me, it's at Chad E&B on Twitter. It's at Chad E&B on Instagram. And for those who want to follow more podcasts going on by me, I've got a couple shows on Vince Russo's The Brand. I've got Eyes Up Here with the Queen of Extreme, Francine. Every single week we are bringing just a hilarious mix of content to Vince Russo's Patreon page, as well as our Patreon page where three times a week we post a brand new episode talking about everything from, you know, life to uh, religion to Disney to music to comedy and then watching a little wrestling and commenting on that as well. And also on Vince Russo's The Brand, I have the Triple Threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas and my TMPT brother, Mr. JP, Primetime, John Paz. We uh, do the Triple Threat podcast every single week and like to keep you entertained. So uh, my uh, co-host here, CP, he's a podcaster as well. And uh, CP, why don't you tell them about your boxing podcast and uh, where they can find it and uh, a little more info on it. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, called Stick and Move Stories. Uh, It's a podcast where we basically cover uh, historical events in history. We, I, uh, we usually take a fight and basically review the buildup, the fight itself, and the post-fight. Uh, and it can be found, if you just Google Stick and Move Stories, it'll come to the top. It's on Spotify and Anchor, and Anchor right now, but it's coming to more platforms soon. Um, we actually just wrapped up what I, what I built as the season finale, which was episode 12, but uh, June, or um, middle July, there's going to be more episodes coming out as well, but you can find the first 12 episodes, uh, Googling stick and move stories.com or just looking or Googling stick and move stories or just looking that up on Spotify. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you doing, you know, doing a great job there. That's for sure. And anybody who's, uh, you know, got the podcasting bug, you know, I always say go for it and you definitely did. And it's a topic, you know, a lot about, 
uh, with boxing. And I don't know if there was really any boxing crossovers for wrestling during this time period. There were after and before, but I don't think in these few years there was really any boxing um, crossover that we could cover. Uh, but hey, if this was 98, we'd talk about Tyson. If this was 91 or 90, we could talk about Buster Douglas. If this was 92, we could talk about Lennox Lewis. I mean, there's uh, so many boxing crossovers, just not in this couple of years. Also, for, for wrestling fans that aren't into boxing, one day there will be a Stick and Move Stories podcast, April Fool's episode, where Roddy Piper versus Mr. T is covered. <laughs> Hey, can't go wrong. That's a great one. Hey, don't, and don't sleep on uh, Bob Orton versus Mr. T. That's another good one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Where they said Mr. T had to basically get picked up off the floor because uh, he was so blown up, and Bob Orton was sitting there smoking a cigarette and reading his newspaper five minutes after he walked through the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So very good. The Stick and Moves podcast. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll see what happens the next time around. Want to thank Tim again for uh, his help and what he'll be bringing to the show. Um, we didn't ask him what he had to promote before, so uh, we'll just say, Tim, you do a great job, and keep doing what you're doing. And if you have stuff, I'll ask you beforehand the next time. I didn't do that this week, so uh, my apologies to you if you had anything specific. But you're doing uh, you're doing God's work in providing us with some entertaining visuals as we talk about stuff. And like I said, it's going to trigger some stuff. It could trigger stuff we might not even wanted to talk about, but still, nonetheless, this is different. This is new. And uh, we'll see what happens next. So for uh, my co-host here, CP, this is the Chadster. We will see you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.